Well, we are wrapping up this conversation we've been having for the last couple of weeks of what it's like to be in someone else's shoes and see from their perspective. Now, to get us going today, I wanted to ask this question. Have you ever been on the wrong side of a good person? You know what that's like, the wrong side of a good person, like a good person that's 18 years old and he or she's a college student. They've taken their first class in college that talks about children and they go to you as a parent. And you've had kids for years and they want to tell you how to parent better, but they have no experience, just one class. They just want to be helpful. And you're like, oh, honey, you know, when you have four kids, a dog and a husband, tell me how to parent then. Then you'll have some credibility. Or maybe it's a couple that's been married for six months and they did their premarital counseling and they've had a pretty good run for six months, but they want to tell you after 20 years of marriage how to have a great marriage. You're like, oh, get some more time under your belt. We know you're trying to help. You know who's worse, the worst at this are Christians, people like me. I remember when I was a young pastor and I was learning to communicate you know, every week on a stage. I thought I was doing pretty well. I was about nine months in and um, this little old lady, nice little old lady came up to me and she encouraged me and said, Matt, you're doing such a good job. I appreciate you so much. She was being overly generous. But then just when I was feeling good about myself, she reached into her giant purse and pulled out the bo- a book and it literally was titled, titled How to Be funnier on stage when you're a pastor. And she said, Matt, I think you need this. And I went, oh, Christians are the worst, even though they're trying to be helpful. And I know this because I am a Christian and I'm a leader at a church. So I guess I'm a Christian leader. And it's weird because when people see me coming, they act different sometimes. Like I will run into somebody at a grocery store and they're walking out to their car and they'll see me coming and they'll try and shove a 12 pack of beer under their shirt so I don't see it. And I'm just like, dude, relax. I guess you just assume that I'm going to be judgmental because of who I am. You know, sometimes it's when we're sitting next to someone on the airplane for me and um, I'll have a conversation and I'll finally tell the dude next to me what I do and he'll literally, it feels like he wants to go sit in another seat. And what I realize when people treat me that way, I realize I'm one of the people we've been talking about, those people. Those people who have judged us, criticized us, told us we weren't good enough. We've defined those people as the group of people impossible to love or very difficult to love. And it's so strange when you find yourself being one of those people and you want to say, whoa, 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 I'm not that judgmental. I'm not that critical. I really do care about people in our world. But because of other experiences, we get put in a box of those people. And we all have those people in our lives. We said it's the people that don't drive well. They talk in movies. You know, they're loud at the campgrounds. They're from a different political party. They're from a different racial group. They're from a different generational group. Like you just can't see the good in young people because they're always getting into trouble or old people are always grouchy. There's always those people in our lives. And we're trying to figure out how do you, you know, work through that and live through that? Because this is what we know. Life is just always easier when those people, whoever they are, which I am one of them for somebody, I'm sure, stay over there. It's just easier. I'll be with my people, you be with your people, we'll all just do better that way. The question is, what do you do when those people don't stay over there and you stay over there, wherever you are? Which is probably a healthy way, healthier way to live anyway. Because what we realize is that those people often become that person in our lives. And a group of people becomes an individual that we have to do life with, have a relationship with. That person 
might be in our marriage. And and you may experience this. When you were dating her, she was young and pretty, and she thought just the same way you thought. And then 10 years into your, your marriage, you look across the table, and her political view is completely different. And you can't believe you married her. And you thought, I must have been love drunk when I proposed to her, because I never saw this coming. Or he was just cool and hip and thought and acted the way you wanted him to. But now, 20 years in, I mean, he's got a whole lot less hair, and he's not fun anymore, and he's one of those people people, but he's the person that you have to do life with now. Those people turn into that person in in our family. I mean, think about it this way. You chose your spouse. You most likely chose your children, but your children did not choose you. And then one day your kids grew up and you thought you had embedded the right worldview. And then they went off to college and they learned some different things and they came home. And they became one of those people, but it was a that person in your life that you're like, where did you come from? And why do you think this way? You're driving me crazy. Maybe it was for you. You said you were told by everybody, when you marry him, you marry his family. And you're like, no, 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 no. That will never happen. We'll be our own crew. Don't have to worry about his family. And then three weeks into your marriage, his mom is showing up every day, picking up his underwear and making him breakfast. And you're like, get out of my house. He's my husband. But now his mom is in your life. And what do you do with that? How do you figure that out in your life? And and then there's, you know, our neighborhood, those people that are that people, you know, invade and come and be a part of. And now their dog and their weeds are in your yard. And not only their dog and their weeds, their attitude is in your yard. And how do you move forward with that? Not to mention our, our workplace. Our workplace, whether you're on a factory line or in a cubicle, I mean, there's just some people you know, in, in your world at work that you just can't believe. Now I have to do life with them every day, and I can't avoid them. I can't move away. I can't quit my job, and maybe it's your boss. So you have to kind of listen to them along the way. And what do you do when those people become that person in your life that you have to move forward with? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, and we're so glad you're joining us. If you're not sure if you believe what we believe, we really are. You have a couple options. I mean, one is you can you have the fight mode. You know, there's a flight or fight. You can fight and just look at that person in your life and just blast them with whatever you're thinking and turn everything into a fight. I don't suggest that, but you could do that. You could do the flight thing where you decide, I'm going to just run away from my job. You know, I'm going to leave my neighborhood. Hopefully you don't leave your family. That's not a good thing. But you know, the challenge with that is you can't just go live in the woods as much as you like to because most of us need a job and need a place to live and we like running water. So what do you do? Now here's what's interesting. If you're a Jesus follower, not just a church person, not just a church girl, but a Jesus follower, there's a third option. And we believe it's the best option, but it might be the most difficult. And it comes from something Jesus said to his closest friends at what's known as the Last Supper, at the end of Jesus' life. He looks at his friends and he says, listen, guys, a new command. Now, understand these young Jewish men, they had hundreds and hundreds of commands. But this would be the command that all commands would run through. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And we've talked about this in the series. Then Jesus went and gave his life for them and the world and said, this is what love looks like. And you're not just to love the people you like, you're to love everyone I love, which is the whole world. And that's a challenge because this is how you move forward with difficult people. Now, lucky for us, the apostle Paul comes along. And he helps us figure this out through through another vantage point. Because the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, you've heard me say this possibly, hated Christians. He hunted them down. 
You know, he was a mercenary to kill all Christians as a Jewish leader. And then he becomes a Christian. And he went from a mercenary to a missionary for the gospel. Now, the challenge was Paul all of a sudden was part of this group of Christians. But prior to this, he'd hunted their friends and family down. And those people, those new Christians that he was part of now, they didn't trust him. They were skeptical of him because of his past, not to mention his old friend group, the religious Jewish people. I mean, now they're frustrated and angry at him because he's left their crew to go to a different crew. And Paul is surrounded by people that are angry at him. Everybody looked at Paul and said, he's one of those people. And I guess he would look back at all the people around him and go, yeah, you're kind of those people for me too, so what do we do? We're going to look at uh, something he wrote in the book of Colossians, which was written to a group of people. And and this is what he says. He says, and pray for us, which is interesting language. Two, that God may open a door for us for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery, this is so interesting, the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I mean, Paul is literally sitting in prison in chains writing this, and he says, listen, pray for us because we've got to get this message out. On your behalf and the world's behalf, we got to get this message out. And he was talking about the foundation that he based everything on. In fact, Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, talks about this in almost every one of his letters, the foundation of what he was and who he believed in and what changed his life. If you jump over to 1 Corinthians, there's a great example of this. In 1 Corinthians, um, we're told this, chapter 15, he says, for what I received... I passed on to you as first importance. So if you said, hey, Paul, what's most important? He'd say, let me, let me tell you. What's most important is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, which means he really died for you, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul would look at you and say, what's most important, the mystery, the message that it's hard to even wrap your mind around, is that God loved you so very much that he gave everything for you. Because you and I, when we were in this world, we were sinners. And I don't like to think of myself as a sinner, and I bet you don't either. But you know this, we can't follow any rules. We can't even follow our own rules. And we look in the mirror and go, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. I just can't quite outrun it. Well, Jesus knew that. Your heavenly father knew that, and so he gave his life on a cross. And when Jesus died and then he rose again to say, I am the resurrected God, the resurrected Messiah, it gave us an opportunity to literally, and this is like great language, to be saved from our sin or be rescued from our sin, to have hope. And Paul had discovered that he had been rescued from his sin. Now his main mission is to spread this message to the world, but remember, much of the world did not like the Apostle Paul, and much of the world did not like Jesus or care for Christians, and so Paul had to figure out how to navigate through that to bring this beautiful message of hope and love, and just pause for a minute. If you're wondering if you're loved, if you're wondering if you can be forgiven or saved from your sin, Paul would say, absolutely, because of what Jesus did for you. Now, you don't have to make up, you, you don't have to try harder, you just gotta put your trust In Jesus, it's a powerful thing. Now back to what he said in this little book called Colossians when he said, and pray for us. I mean, he's asking for prayer just to get through what he has to do as a mission in his life. That God may open a door for our message because our message is more important than anything else. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. In other words, everybody needs Jesus. 
And Paul would struggle with people. I mean, Paul would be like you and me and look at people and go, those are those people or that person. And I don't really like them, but I'm desperate to love them and for them to know the saving grace that God showed me. And this brings up a question. If we're to follow the example of a person like the Apostle Paul who was following Jesus, the question is this, why are we so afraid to love people where they are and for who they are? Why why are we so afraid of that? Why are we so afraid to see people that are different than us and care about them and love them and empathy for them? And, And see, I think the challenge for a lot of us is we think, hey, if I disagree with you, I can't love you. But you need to know disagreement is different than loving someone. I can disagree with people and still love them. The reason we don't do this, I think, is because we're afraid. We're just afraid. We're afraid that those people, whoever they are, they're going to get their way and we're not going to get ours. Or those people are going to have a bigger voice than ours. Or something's going to be taken away. Or I might lose my faith if I listen to their perspective. And I just want you to know, if the Christian faith is so fragile that by listening to other people's perspective on God and faith and scripture, if it shakes you out of your faith, we gotta find a better version of faith. And our kids are gonna need a better version of faith if it's that fragile, because the Christian faith has never been fragile in the way Jesus described it. And here's an important part of that, that there is a huge difference between agreement and acceptance, a huge difference. And like Paul, we live in a world that is so polarized. You either have to be on one side or another, and you can't have any in between. Like, I can't disagree with you and accept you at the same time. But here's something to think about. Agreement means another must adopt the same perspective as you. If you're going to agree with me, you have to think like I think. You have to have the worldview that I have. You have to see God the way I see God. You have to see everything the way I see him and vice versa. I have to agree with everything on you. This is almost impossible for large amounts of people to do. It's hard to agree with people. But that's different than acceptance. You see, acceptance, it means we value the person over their perspective. I accept you because I value you. I believe you were made in the image of God, which means you have inherent value, inherent beauty. You are like God's masterwork, and I can accept you. I don't agree with you, but I can accept you. And here's the deal. Acceptance and love go hand in hand. They are connected. And so when you hear Jesus say, love one another, it means you need to accept them where they are and for who they are so you can love them. And here's what I think the Apostle Paul learned to do. The Apostle Paul learned to accept people where they are and for who they are. I and mean, when you read about the people he interacted with and the degree that he went to love people that were different than him, it was amazing. And he loved people that hated him and that were persecuting him. And he went all the way like his Savior did. And here's what I realize, those people, that person, they're not gonna go away. So we gotta figure out how to move forward in love and acceptance. And if you were to say, hey Paul, can you give us some advice about how to do that? This is the beautiful part of the scripture. He gives us an incredible piece of advice on how to do that. He says this, he says, be wise. If we just stop there, that'd be enough because if we would all just learn to be wise, I mean our lives would go in a better direction. But be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Paul, Paul, what's an outsider? Well, for him, it was someone that didn't believe the way he believed, didn't trust in Jesus the way he trusted, but he said, be wise how you talk to people. 
But for us, it would be anybody that's different. Be wise, because those are people God loves. Don't be foolish. Don't be angry. Don't you know, hurt your reputation to speak into someone else's life. With outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. The implication here is opportunity is limited. Like you only get so many opportunities with any certain person. Like even your kids, it's a limited opportunity with your children. So how can we be wise? Paul, tell me, how do I be wise with outsiders? This is what he says. Let your conversation. Let your conversation. Again, if we stop there, that would be enough because this is a huge word. And you know what a conversation is? It's not a point of argument or a counterpoint. A conversation is, I didn't show up to make my point with you. A conversation is, I actually care about who you are and what you're thinking. I really want to know where you're coming from. It's not an argument, because arguments create chasms. It creates distance. It creates separation. And I'm telling you, Jesus did not come to this world to create more separation. But we live in that. And here's the challenge when it comes to this idea. It is so easy to make an argument and make a point right now and create chasms. I mean, have you ever thought this way? Have you ever thought, oh, I finally had the silver bullet. I can just post this on social media and when those people read this, then they'll understand. I finally figured it out. And then you post it and two people give you a thumbs up and everybody else ignores you and thinks that you don't care about anybody but your point of view. It's what happens when we create arguments, we create chasms. What if instead of like arguments and silver bullets, we had conversations that create connections? What if we did that? What if we really cared about people? Jesus did not give us the gospel to argue over or argue with or prove our point. He gave us the gospel to point people towards a God that loves them through our example, to say the whole world is loved by a God that wants to have a real relationship with you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. This is one of the most challenging things I've ever read in scripture. He says, let be full of grace. And you know what grace is. This means I'm gonna believe the best and love you even if you don't deserve it. And he says, sprinkled with salt, seasoned with salt. And salt here just represents truth. Now think about this. Paul says, give lots and lots of grace and a little bit of truth. Lots and lots of grace and a little bit of truth. Because when you do that, lots and lots of grace, you have an opportunity to speak truth into someone's life. And I'm telling you, truth is so important. But truth that isn't heard or you know, applied or digested, I don't know what people do with it. It just bounces off and it's sown in the garbage can. And I think too many Christians, too many followers of Jesus have been like pounding truth and no one's listening. Well, the truth we believe in is really important, but it takes lots and lots of grace and a little bit of salt, a little bit of truth. Because grace, grace seeks to understand, not be understood. Grace means I really care more about where you're coming from than just trying to prove another point. And when it comes to truth, this is true for me, it might be true for you, that we struggle with truth, but we converse with grace. And you should struggle with truth, because truth is not easy. Anytime I have learned the truth about me, typically I don't always like it. But when someone will have a conversation with me, 
and dive in with me, I'm willing to listen to all kinds of truth because the conversation, I realize people are leaning in and it creates space for wisdom and truth to come into my life. Now, you need to know this about me. I hate this principle. The the natural part of me, the human part of me, hates this because I would rather come barrels ablazing and just blow truth on everybody and just, just let them have truth all the time. I'll tell you why your life's wrong. I'll tell you why your marriage didn't work out. I'll tell you this and I'll tell you that because it's just easy. But people don't listen when I do that. I found that out early as a pastor. I just want to tell everybody what was true. But I realize that you've got to bring a lot of grace and love too. I mean, I think about truth of my own children. I mean, I could corner one of my sons and say, you should do this. And they would say, yes, dad, because of my personality and kind of who I am. But I could see it just bouncing off their hearts. And I learned with my children, I'm still learning, that if I wanted them to really understand the truth that I thought was best for them, I'd have conversations. I'd have a lot of grace and a lot of love. And for me, it takes a lot of work. Paul goes on. He says, let your conversations be full of grace, seasons with a little bit of salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That you will run into people and you don't have to push them away. You don't have to be afraid of them. You can love them and care about them for who they are and where they are in their life. And you have a conversation that's wise and will point them to what is good and holy and lovely. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know where the Apostle Paul learned this? He learned this from Jesus. The stories and the teachings of Jesus. And all you have to do to understand how much this meant to Jesus is to read the stories about Jesus. For instance, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, Samaritans that were hated by Jewish people, Samaritans that were thought to be a lower class, lesser group of people. Now Jesus, a rabbi, is talking to a Samaritan woman. Men men that were rabbis, which they are all men, were not supposed to talk to women in general. It was just a Jewish rule back in the day. But they certainly weren't supposed to talk to a Samaritan woman. And there's Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, like showing her dignity and respect and that he cared about her. And along the way, after she lied to him about her lifestyle, he goes, hey, you don't have a husband, you have five husbands. Probably not the best way to live. God has a better plan for your life. Now go tell everybody that life is gonna be in me. And she did. And thousands of people put their trust in Jesus. That woman in adultery that was drugged out in the street half naked And she was about to be stoned to death for committing adultery. Which you have to ask the question, where was the man that was committing adultery with her? And why was the woman going to get stoned and the man is nowhere to be found? See, injustice just ain't happening in God's economy. And so Jesus, before she could be stoned, steps in the gap. I mean, I always think about this story. It's like Clint Eastwood just stepping in and going, not on my watch, Pilgrim. That'd be John Wayne. But not on my watch. And he protects her and he calls the men out in the crowd. And they all leave, and he showed her incredible grace. And he looked at her and said, you, you got to stop living this way because you're, you're going to hurt yourself. And God loves you enough. He doesn't want you to hurt yourself by continuing to commit adultery over and over. And he gave her truth. I mean, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and Matthew, who he called to be one of his apostles, just on and on about people he loved. He showed them grace. And then he would turn and say, hey, and, and leave your life of sin. It's not good for you. Let's go a better direction. But it was always with grace and then sprinkled in with incredible, powerful, life-changing truth. This is what we learn from Jesus, taught 
by the Apostle Paul that conversations create connections. Paul and Jesus leveraged this over and over. And I will tell you from my experience, there have been times that I just decide I want to make a point and a counterpoint and just hammer you with whatever I think the truth is. And I have truth people out of my life and I have truth people out of the church. I don't want to do that. And I don't think you want to do it either. And if you're watching and you've walked away from church, if you've not leaned into Jesus because you've had that experience with us as Christians, I'm telling you, we are trying to do better. And we're looking into the world that we live in with all the chaos and all that's going on, and we have to do better because Jesus and Paul, they leverage this all the time. And if you're not a Jesus follower, I mean, you don't have to do this because of Jesus. You should just do this because you. I mean, you're going to be a better husband if you decide I'm going to have conversations and I'm going to give grace and then I'm going to give a little bit of truth. You'll be a better parent. I'm telling you, at your workplace, you might get promoted for this because nobody does this very well. You have an opportunity to apply a principle in your life that's just going to make life better for you. But if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, This is what we do. This is how we move forward with people that are difficult to love and live with. People that went from those people to that person in your life. To share in their feelings, to share in their pain, to share in their struggle. And even if it is from afar, if even it's what's happening in another town, another city, another country, to share and have empathy in that, that's what love looks like. And I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to agree with you. Let me just say that one more time. I don't have to agree with you to accept you and to love you and to empathize with you. And this may happen when you're married. This may happen with your children. You may have to look at your children one day and go, I I don't agree with what you're doing, but I in no way, shape, or form want to communicate that I don't accept you. Because when I was far apart from God, he looked at me and said, I couldn't agree with you less. In fact, I completely disagree with your lifestyle, Matt but I love you and I'm going to give my life for you. See, no one was ever argued into a relationship with Jesus. You don't hear that story very often. What we hear time and time and time again is that people were loved into a relationship with Jesus because Jesus loved us when we were impossible to love. And as we wrap this series up and you and I are tempted to look at those people or that person, and write them off, or give up, or say, there's no way I can love them. I want you to remember this, that God loved us when we were his enemies and gave everything for us. And we have a relationship with Jesus because we were loved into it by him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask for help to get this right. And it's gonna take a lot of courage and a lot of intentionality, and it's going to take your very spirit living in us to help us love the way Jesus you loved and the Apostle Paul loved, but I believe we can do that in our own homes, our own neighborhoods, and in our world. Help us to be conduits of a better world, your world, Jesus, a better kingdom, your kingdom. And thank you, Jesus, for loving us all in a way that we don't deserve and rescuing us from our sin. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.